Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich. I'm the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Uh, our next show, Saturday, September 14th at the WGA West Theater. I mentioned last episode that we will be having a dead pilot by Dan Sterling, creator of the Sarah Silverman program and writer on Girls in the Office. Uh, now I can announce our other two pilots. We have one from Jeff Greenstein, who's a writer on Friends, uh, not when I was there, first couple of years. Uh, also a writer on Will and Grace and Desperate Housewives. Uh, we've got another great dead pilot from Jennifer Crittenden and Gabby Allen. Jen and Gabby have written on basically every great sitcom. Seinfeld, Everybody Loves Raymond, Scrubs, Arrested Development, Veep, just to name a few. It's going to be a great show. Uh, tickets aren't on sale yet, but they will go on sale at the beginning of August. Best way to keep on top of that is to follow us on social media. The link will go live uh, as soon as it's up. Um, hey, also, why don't you go onto Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating? Uh, do that right now while you're thinking of it. Okay, uh, so we're officially at Peak Podcast. The New York Times style section wrote about it last week, which means we probably actually hit it about a year and a half ago. Um, let me put it this way. If I was running a writer's room right now and someone pitched a joke about how there are too many podcasts, I would say, sorry, it's just too clammy an area. It goes in the category with jokes about people Instagramming pictures of their avocado toast and kale salads. But in that sea of podcasts, guess who just made IndieWire's list of best podcasts of the year for the third time? Well, Malcolm Gladwell probably did, but also we did our episode uh, Birthright by Joel Kim Booster made the list. Uh, joining previous winners, Housewives by Casey Wilson and June Diane Raphael, and Roller World by Samantha McIntyre. Have you listened to those episodes? Go back. You should listen to those. There's some great TV shows that you can only hear. You can only hear them right here on Dead Pilot Society. Uh, we've got another one of those for you right now. Our Dead Pilot this time is Small Town Love by Sarah Haskins and Emily Halpern. Sarah and Emily created Trophy Wife and the upcoming show Carol's Second Act uh, coming to CBS this fall starring Patricia Heaton. They're also the writers of the movie Booksmart. In my interview with them, we talk about how that movie came about, how it took 11 years to make it to the screen, about what Emily learned from working with David Mamet, uh, why they switched from writing movies to writing television, and how you know when an idea is actually going to make a good TV show. Our cast for this one, Busy Phillips from Freaks and Geeks, as Annette, Shannon Woodward from Westworld as Fanny, Asif Ali from Wrecked as Curtis, Paul Edelstein from Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce as George, I think that might actually be Paul Edelstein, um, Parvesh China from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as Mr. Carr, Rob Hubel from Transparent as John, Liz Jenkins from Blackish as Beth, Nicole Sullivan from Mad TV coming in to just kill with uh, two lines. One from Ruthie, one from the woman on the reality show. Uh, rounding out the cast, Greg Santos, Sidney Steinberg, and Ali Gandor. So now, recorded live at the Improv in Hollywood, here's Small Town Love, followed by my interview with Sarah and Emily after a brief message. 
Hey, we're Ben and Adam, and we're here to tell you about our Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Why should I listen to a Star Trek podcast? You may be asking yourself. Well, ours is actually good and funny. We joke around. We uh, we have a lot of fun. We talk about film production techniques that are used in Star Trek. We love to break down the stories and the characters, and we just have a blast while we're doing it. It's kind of like sitting around with a couple of buds, having a beer, and talking about an episode of one of your favorite shows. So go to MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to The Greatest Generation. Yeah, whatever you're using to listen to this, just have it find us and subscribe. Small Town Love, written by Emily Halpern and Sarah Haskins. It's, it's the cold open. It's a dark room. Annette sleeps. The clock reads 3.59 a.m. There's silence. A click as the clock switches to 4 a.m. Suddenly music blasts and we hear Kelly Clarkson sing out, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. Annette rolls over and shuts off the alarm. Next to the alarm is a calendar with inspirational quotes written on each day. Right now, yesterday's page still reads, September 6th, appreciate now, worry later. Annette sits up and flips it over to today's page, which reads, September 7th, you determine your future by the actions you take today. Annette reads the quote, nods, takes a breath, and gets out of bed. In the kitchen, she walks in wearing a food service uniform with her name on it. She pours some old coffee from the coffee maker into a travel mug and starts to nuke it. She gathers her things when there's a thump at the back door. She jumps, another thump. Annette grabs the nearest knife and mutters a quick prayer. Oh, dear God, give me the strength to kill my rapist. (laughs) The back door flies open, revealing Fanny, 20, Annette's daughter, home from a night of partying. Fanny, you scared the hell out of me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The door was, it was kind of stuck. But, um, I mean, I'm really glad you were prepared in, in case, you know, I was a giant piece of bread. Annette glances at her hand. She's holding a butter knife. She puts it down and tries to regain some motherly status. What are you doing coming in at 4.30 a.m.? Oh, yeah, I was out, so I came in. Come on, Fanny. It's been three months since you finished junior college, and all you do is go out and party. Mom, come on. We've had this conversation a million times. And we will keep having it until you get a job. So really, it's your choice because I can have I can have this conversation forever. You know, by the time I was your age, I was pregnant with you. I had to be responsible. And Annette notices Fanny is leaning oddly against the fridge. Fanny? We hear a small snore. Fanny! Sorry. She jolts awake. And Annette takes her by the shoulders. Remember... You determine your future by the actions you take today. Oh, oh, that's great. Is that more calendar wisdom? It's a very wise calendar. What happened to appreciate now, worry later? That was yesterday. And I hope you appreciated it, because today you need to worry. Annette grabs her bag and leaves the house. We're in a factory cafeteria. Annette's at work serving coffee to the factory employees. Mr. Carr, her supercilious boss, approaches... Good morning, Annette. Mr. Carr slowly and obviously looks at Annette's boobs. (laughs) Then back up. She waits. We get the sense he does this every day. Good morning, Mr. Carr. Cream, no sugar? Yeah, not today. I've got some news for you. We're uh, upgrading the cafeteria. We are? That's wonderful. We're all going to be able to go so much faster. He leads her to where two guys are steadying a large espresso-making vending machine against the wall. And we're starting with the coffee. 
Well, that's just a vending machine. Ah, 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 state of the art. Watch this. He presses a button, and we watch as a fresh cup of coffee pours into a little cup. Mr. Carr sips it and goes... <sighs> and that's not all. This baby makes lattes, cappuccinos, you name it. So what will I be doing? Well, well that's the rest of the news. He pulls a piece of paper from his pocket. We appreciate your 19 years of service, but due to new cost efficiencies and our relentless pursuit of customer satisfaction. No, 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 no. I'm not hearing this, Mr. Carr. I need this job. I've been here for 19 years. Yeah, yeah, I just said that. At 20 years, I get a bonus and a raise. You, you can't do this. I'm really supposed to finish reading this. I gave you coffee every day. Yeah, still got to finish. <clears throat> Your employment is hereby terminated. We present you with a severance check covering the pay period served. He hands her a check. She reads it. $13.06? It would have been more, but we had to deduct the cost of the uniform. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And we smash cut to the factory parking lot. The factory doors slam open and Annette storms outside, holding her head high and wearing just a bra. She waves the check above her head. It's been a great 19 years. Thanks for everything. And that's the end of the cold open. We're in act one at small town Michigan. Frustrated, Annette drives home. The camera pans to show us the town's main drag. It's seen better days. We follow Annette's beat up 2004 Corolla as she turns into her house. She pulls into her driveway. She gets out of her car, covering herself with a ratty blanket. As she hurries inside, she's stopped by her neighbor and landlord, John, heading to work in coveralls at his mailbox. Hey, Annette. You're home early? What, a short day or something? Oh, are you, are you cold? <laughs> Long story. Well, actually, it's a short story. I was fired. Oh, no. Uh, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it's terrible. I've never actually been fired because people tend to need my line of work. John gets into his truck, which has a sign on it that says, John Septic. The John for your John. Hey, just don't tell Beth yet, okay? I don't want her to worry about me making rent. No, no, I know you're good for it. My lips are sealed and fucking locked. <laughs> he, he does a very elaborate zipping his lips pantomime. We go to the kitchen. Fanny walks in yawning, a blanket over her shoulders. She stops when she sees Annette seated at the table, smiling. Oh, no. What now? Fanny is suspicious, but rolls with Annette's good mood. How'd you sleep? Uh, yeah, great. Fanny opens the fridge to see every item has been labeled with a colorful post-it. Fanny takes out a milk carton. Wait, half a gallon of milk, two dollars? Look, I get it, Mom. I'm spoiled, but so what? You, you don't want me to eat now? Oh, well, of course not. Eat whatever you would like. Fanny grabs some cereal and a banana, which also have post-its on them, and sits down to eat. Annette starts making numbers, adding numbers on a calculator. All right, one bowl of cereal, one banana, and about two cups of milk. That'll be a dollar and thirty-six cents. Fanny pours a glass of juice. You're hilarious. And a glass of juice. We're at two forty-two <coughs> now. Come on, are you serious? Right. So orange juice is expensive. Fanny stops eating. Wait, what is your problem? I got fired this morning. What? Yeah. Wait, how can they do that? You've been working there, like, your entire life. Mm, more like your entire life. <laughs> but, I mean, can't you sue them or something? You know what? You know, I'm going to tweet. 
I'm going to tweet at the local news about this because this is an outrage. Annette puts her hand on Fanny's phone and lowers it. You know, if you'd listened to me and gotten a job, we wouldn't be totally screwed right now. Oh, so this is my fault now. I mean, how am I supposed to get a job? You know, like, I, I don't even know what my passion is yet. Well, get a job and figure that out later. Free rent time is over. Wait, now you want me to pay rent in my own house? This is, this is child labor. <laughs> Hardly. You've been loafing around for three months. From now on, you want to live here, you pay your own way. Oh! Fanny grabs her bike helmet and storms out. We go to a house. Fanny rails to her boyfriend, Curtis, a stoner-looking chill dude in his late 30s and a mom's worst nightmare. I'm telling you, she has totally lost her mind. Uh, you're so right. No one should have to be a wage slave. Yeah, I mean, like, so I haven't figured out what I want to do with my life, you know? I mean, at least I know what I don't want to do with my life. Which she did, you know? Work at the same crappy job for 19 years just to get fired. Yeah, I really feel that. See, this is why you should be an entrepreneur like me. I spend all my time doing what I love, playing video games. And once I get a sponsor and go pro, I'll be living the dream, babe. Passion plus job in one. Yeah, see? You totally get it. And, like, do you ever worry about money? <laughs> Heck no. If I didn't put in all my man hours, my hard man hours, I'd never get good enough for a sponsor to see me. And once you give up on your dreams, it's all over. Right. And I mean, you know, if I need money, I'll just, like, I'll create an app. Exactly. It's the only problem is, like, I can't go home anymore without my mom shaking me down for cereal money. Oh, babe, genius idea. Move in with me. Look, I, I don't know. You know, my mom doesn't even know we're dating. And when she finds out you're older, she's going to freak. Okay, first of all, did you explain to your mom that biological age has nothing to do with the age of your soul? Yeah, she was flipping out about orange juice, so it wasn't the right time. Okay, well, listen, if you'd rather go home and be oppressed under your mom's, sorry to say this, tyrannical rule, that's your choice. Okay, me, I left home when I was your age to live a life of total freedom, and I've never looked back. Babe, look around. This, too, can be yours. Curtis motions with his arm, and we pull back to reveal his tiny, mostly empty studio apartment. I feel gross. I gotta use the bathroom. Fanny walks off as Curtis picks up his game console. I'm out of toilet paper, FYI! And we go to Annette's house. Annette indulges in the only escapism she can afford, giving herself a pedicure and watching a Real Housewives-type reality show on TV, where we see rich women in leopard prints having a dinner party. Suddenly, her boyfriend, George, enters, still in his butcher's apron. Oh, I came as soon as I got your text. I'm so sorry. Are you, are you okay? Shh, 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 shh. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jennifer is about to find out that Genevieve copied her dog's Halloween costume. Shit is about to get so real. George sits down and looks at it over and looks at it over Annette's toes. Wow, this is like tiny art. Are these little pumpkins? It's a fall theme. I'm trying not to think about the fact that no one in this house has a job. I know someone with a job who wants to live here, and he is me. It's not the right time. 
I need Fanny to move out first, and I need to get a new job. You should do nails. What? Be serious. I am. You've always wanted to open your own salon. You've got good credit. I'm sure you could get a loan. Come on, you're the one always talking about positive thinking. Suddenly shrieks come from the TV. Oh, oh God. Here oh. we go. Here we go. On screen, one woman lunges across the table. We watch as she crawls on her hands and knees on the table, trying to hit the other woman with a spoon. <laughs> it's spoon time, bitch! <laughs> Who acts like that? George clumsily makes a move to massage her shoulders. Would it help to relax? Oh, I can't think about sex right now, and I can smell the blood on your apron. I'm sorry, baby. George inspects his apron stains. We go to John and Beth's house. At the house next door, John's wife, Beth, sits on the couch by a window, her foot elevated in a cast. She's reading Fifty Shades of Grey. John walks in. Hey, are you, uh, you reading that sex book again? Did you know E.L. James was just a housewife when she wrote this? Now she's a millionaire. God, I wish I could do that. Oh, man, we could finally take that cruise. So do it. You got the time off now with your torn Achilles. Oh, I don't know. I'm no writer, and I'm no sex expert. What? <laughs> we did it at that Denny's that one time. <laughs> you're right. True, true, true. Beth notices Annette leaving her house outside the window. Oh, that's strange. Why is Annette home? She got fired. Oh! oh! <laughs> Darn it. Oops. I wasn't supposed to tell you that. Oh, my God. Can she pay rent? No, I'm, I, I gotta get to the bottom of this. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Who are you calling? Don't tell anyone. It was a secret. Write that sex book. So that Beth waves him off. She's found a new distraction. We're interior of Burger Shack. Annette sits opposite a pimply teen, the manager, who reads her resume. Mm, okay, high school diploma, Madison Lane Beauty School. Yeah, I got my cosmetology license. I also have 19 years of experience in the food service industry. He, he puts down his clipboard. Okay, good news, you're hired. That's great. You start at 8.50 an hour. What? That's like half of what I was making at my last job. Oh, there's room for growth. After a year, you could be eligible for a 3% raise. <laughs> I think I can do better. She walks out. Doubt it. <laughs> and we go to the poorhouse. Annette walks in, that's P-O-U-R, walks into the local dive bar and finds a bartender. Uh, hey, is Jimmy in back? I'd like a job application. Mm, I don't think we're hiring, but I'll see if he's in. As Annette waits, she spots a man in a sweatshirt who we recognize as Fanny's boyfriend, Curtis, leave the bathroom holding rolls of toilet paper. She watches as he shoves the rolls under his sweatshirt and one down his pants. He then walks slowly to the bar. Oh man, where'd he go? I need a beer. You know, you shouldn't steal from the bar. Listen, that TP is free. If you went to the bathroom, you'd use it, right? Yeah, I'd use a little. I wouldn't put a whole roll in my pants. Hey, that's your choice. Okay, it's not a crime to steal a free resource. Annette rolls her eyes and turns away from this idiot to see Fanny seated at a table. Annette heads to her, livid. Fanny! Oh, shit. <laughs> is this what you call job hunting, sitting at a bar in the middle of the day? Well, uh, as a matter of fact, I am here for a job application. Just then a waiter puts a basket of fries in front of Fanny. Here's your basket of fries. Oh, uh, thank you. And uh, the job application? What? Yeah, nice try, Fanny. 
Mom, look, you don't get it, okay? I don't want to waste my life at some random job. You can't be a child forever, Fanny. You need to grow up someday. Yeah, you know what? I am, and I'm growing up today, actually. I've decided to move out. Oh, really? Where will you be living? I'm moving in with Curtis. Who's Curtis? My boyfriend. Fanny points, and Annette turns around to see the toilet paper thief returning with his beer. He holds out his hand. Pleased to meet you. My first name is Curtis. And off of Annette's horrified look, we end act one. We're in act two. It's moments later. Curtis takes Annette's hand. It is so nice to finally meet the mother of my fanny. He bows and a roll of toilet paper drops on the floor. Oh, oh, oh damn. Yeah. This is what you've been doing all summer, dating a man who can't afford toilet paper? If you know the cracks in the system, you can live like a king. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Should I, should I be more like you and date a butcher who's constantly covered in blood? Well, at least George is not an unemployed man-child. Yeah, for your information, Curtis is an entrepreneur. And we are a very much in love. That is true, both parts. Okay, this is all becoming very clear. This is what has been making you so unmotivated. Fanny, you're coming home with me. Fun time is over. We need to get to work, both of us. No, I'm moving in with Curtis. Well, you can't, you're too young. I thought you wanted me to act like an adult. Shouldn't this make you happy? Oh, I'm just delighted. On the same day I get fired, my daughter tells me she wants to run off with a 40-year-old barfly. Okay, quick clarification. I'm 36, and this is really more of Fanny's place. Annette takes a deep breath and delivers an ultimatum. You come home with me right now, or don't come home at all and we smash to Curtis's place. Close on a spinning disco ball, loud music plays, we widen to reveal that this image plays on the TV screen that Curtis and Fanny are dancing around celebrating. Woo! I did it! Freedom, baby, freedom! Fanny dramatically drops her backpack on the floor. There, all moved in. The microwave dings. Curtis oh. pulls out a plate of hot dogs. Okay, let's celebrate with our favorite meal, hot dogs. Curtis hands Fanny her hot dog. For you, my queen. Fanny sniffs the hot dog and pushes her plate away. It's really gross. What? You love hot dogs. Yeah, I know. What's wrong with me? And we go to the grocery store. Annette waits at the butcher's counter as George helps a very elderly customer. He hands him a package. I don't mean to brag, Mr. Watkins, but these brats are the worst. <laughs> Mr. Watkins smiles feebly and exits down the aisle. I think it's the personal touch that keeps people shopping here instead of at the Walmart. Yeah, that and the 40-minute drive. You know what? I've got something that will cheer you up. Remember the salon that closed on Route 95? He hands her a newspaper, a newspaper classified ad section. Chairs and nail stations are still in there. Just needs a paint job. Places available for rent. Annette shoves the papers back at him. Of course it's available, because no one's crazy enough to reopen a nail salon in a recession. Are we still in a recession? We're always in a recession. It's not the right time. Annette, I heard you just got fired. Ah, oh, thanks, Obama. 
Annette turns to see Ruthie, her 60s approaching. How'd you hear? Oh, John told Beth, you told Angie, you told Joanne, and you know Joanne. (laughs) Now that you can't whore around, she just gossips. (laughs) Anyway, I'll get the girls from the Bible study to pray for ya. And she shuffles off. Oh, this is great. Beth knows. Now she'll be up my ass about the rent. No one in this town can keep a secret. Except Fanny. Of course, when I was her age, I had plenty of loser boyfriends. I never told my parents about them. Plenty? Tons. I know this game. Fanny kept Curtis a secret because she knew I'd never approve, which I do not. He's too old, possibly homeless, and... Oh, God. Oh! I've made a terrible mistake by freaking out about Curtis. I did exactly what Fanny was expecting me to do. The best way to get rid of your daughter's terrible boyfriend is to like him. Ugh! I'm going to kill him with kindness. Annette, Annette grins. Just then a store manager comes from the back. Hey, Annette, sorry to keep you waiting. Afraid we just don't have any positions available. He walk, she walks off. Oh, I'm sorry, babe. Would you like me to comfort you in the meat locker? No, George! <laughs> And we go to Curtis's house in the bathroom. Fanny sits by the toilet, holding her phone in one hand and her stomach in the other. Curtis sits next to her. Okay, I think I know why you feel sick. Okay, you're having what is called an emotional response to leaving your mom. And you know what, babe? That's okay. Yeah, I don't think that's it. Listen, I watched uh, that whole Freud, Freud documentary on demand, so I'm pretty sure. Okay, I got like 32 minutes in. It's okay to feel weird. As he puts his arm around her, Fanny holds up her phone for Curtis to see. What am I looking at? My period tracker. Oh, cool app. Can I get that on my phone? It'd be cool to know when you're going to be in a mood. No. <laughs> Curtis, look at the date. I'm late. And back at the grocery store, George is slicing meat when he st- spots Curtis and Fanny enter the store. Curious, he steps around the corner to see Fanny picking up several pregnancy tests. Oh, boy. And at Beth and John's house, Beth pages sadly through her copy of Fifty Shades. Annette's car pulls up. Beth hobbles to the door to catch her. She opens it and shouts, Annette! But but Annette hurries inside and slams the door. At Curtis's house, house, Fanny sits down at the kitchen table with Curtis and gingerly places a pregnancy test between them. Oh, you, you peed on that. He grabs some junk mail to put it on. Curtis, what are we gonna do if it's positive? I'm going to have a baby. You already moved in. We're in love. We think outside the box. Baby, if you're pregnant, that baby is probably the next Steve Jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I turned out awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, without me, my mom would have, like, nothing to do. <laughs> totally. It's like a family tradition, except with me in it. Fanny leans in to give him a smooch when her phone buzzes. It's my mom. She wants us to come over for she wants us to come over for dinner. Weird. Do you think it's a trap? Maybe. But we are out of food. <laughs> a timer beeps. Fanny reaches out, picks up the pregnancy test, and looks at it. Well. And we go to Annette's house in the dining room. Annette, George, Fanny, and Curtis are seated around the table. Annette is being very nice to Curtis, although she finds him maddening. So then I realized, why buy a car if in the winter I can just wear 
two jackets. <laughs> Thoughtful. And I've been a scooter owner ever since. How wonderful and creative. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so creative. Mm. And that's all that matters now, really, because jobs are obsolete. George tries to change the subject. So, Fanny, I hear you're thinking about what career you want. Yeah, I don't need a dad. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you two seem very happy. How is it being all moved in, Fanny? Uh, okay, sorry, what's, what's the deal, Mom? <laughs> We've been here for an hour, so don't you want to tell me how I'm ruining my life again, or... Tell Curtis how much you hate him or something? No, no. If Curtis is important to you, then he's important to me, too. <laughs> Fanny eyes Annette suspiciously as Curtis swirls the wine in his glass and sniffs it deeply. Oak. A touch of birch. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way because... Uh, Curtis and I have some news. At this, George stiffens. He puts his hand on Annette's. Remember kindness? <laughs> We're pregnant. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. Annette? <laughs> it's true, Mom. <laughs> Annette lunges at Fanny across the table. She grabs a spoon and crawls on her hands and knees down the table to attack her exactly the same way as on the Real Housewives show. It's spoon time, bitch! What are you talking about? You're insane! George pulls Annette off the table and holds her back. How could you get pregnant? How could you do this? Mom, hey, it is FYI. This is very good news. No, it's not. It's terrible. It's terrible. You're ruining your life. Okay, okay, I get it. What? What do you get? I, what could you possibly get? I get that having me ruined your life, okay? So I'm sorry for screwing it up royally, all right? But maybe, maybe your life will be better without me. Fanny shoots her mom the finger and walks out. Annette turns, <laughs> fuming to see Curtis putting some lasagna in a napkin. Uh, uh, just a little to go for later, for the baby. Curtis! <laughs> yeah. And we're at the Burger Shack. We start close on Annette, speaking as if to camera. Positive thinking will get you only so far. You work hard, you pay your dues, you expect the universe to have your back. And then one day, you realize that life's a bitch. And you do what you gotta do to get by, so here I am. And we widen to reveal that Annette is in fact speaking to the pimply teen manager and now wearing a Burger Shack uniform. Uh, Thank you for that wisdom. <laughs> anyway, like I was saying, receipt and bag, and don't forget the Burger Shack goodbye. You try. Annette takes a cup of coffee and a bag from him and brings it to the drive through window where she stops short. She's staring directly into the face of her old boss, Mr. Carr. Hey, look who it is. He, sl <laughs> he slowly looks at Annette's boobs, then back up. Looking good and still serving me coffee. <laughs> Good for you. Here's your order. Thanks, hot stuff. See you around. He takes another look at her boobs, revs the engine, and roars off. His car sprays a wave of dirty road water onto the drive-through window in Annette's face. 
The manager looks at her like, go on. Now wet and covered with spots of dirt, Annette yells after the car. Have a wonderful, burgerful day. And that's the end of Act Two. Act three, we're at Curtis's house. He plays a video game and talks to his opponents through his headset while Fanny looks online at baby stuff. Well, hello, ladies, man, 4285761211. We meet again. <laughs> oh, my God. This baby stuff is, like, it's really expensive. I mean, the cheapest crib I can find is, like, 90 bucks. No big deal. He, opens, he uses his foot to pull open a drawer filled with socks. Voila, instant crib. Back into his headset. Not if I defeat you first. Prepare for battle! You know, what about, like, bottles, you know? Yeah, we don't need them. We got two of nature's bottles right there. Points to her boobs. Okay. And it's better for babies, you know. Statisticals. I, I don't know. I, I just... Cur Curtis sees that Fanny is upset. He talks into his headset. All right, gents, I'm out. My woman needs me. Hose before bros. You know the rule. He turns off the game and sits with Fanny. I know you're nervous. But we're going to be great parents because we're going to love the heck out of this little munchkin. Sure, money will be a little tight until I get a sponsor and go pro. <laughs> but once I do, babe, we'll be having hot dogs every night of the week. Wait, but how are we going to afford hot dogs and baby stuff until then, you know? Oh, right. This is why my mom got a job. Yeah. I have to get a job. And we go to the burger shack. Annette rings up an order at the counter for two rude teenage boys. Okay, that's two cheeseburgers, a fry, two Cokes, and... Two fries, bitch! Who orders a fry? The, bo <laughs> the boys laugh. Annette stays level. That's 831. Annette turns and grabs the order from under the hot lamps. And as she does, she sees Fanny walk into the burger, burger shack. Fanny? Curious, Annette steps closer to observe as Fanny approaches the pimply teen manager. Annette watches as the manager hands Fanny a job application and takes out his clipboard. Oh my god. And all of a sudden, time slows down for Annette. She sees everything as if in slow motion. The rude, laughing teen customers yelling for their food, her pimply boss, his pimply mouth interviewing Fanny and making notes on his clipboard. The image triggers a memory and we cut to a flashback. A young, pregnant Annette fills out an application on a clipboard under the lascivious eye of a young Mr. Carr. We cut back to the burger shack. Annette still stares at the pimply teen interviewing Fanny. History is repeating itself, and she doesn't like it. You determine your future by the actions you take today. What? Where are my fries at? Ignoring them, Annette, still carrying their tray of food, marches over to Fanny and the pimply teen manager. Fanny! Mom? How are you everywhere? Um, you two know each other? This is my daughter. Oh, cool. You guys can carpool. <laughs> Mom, look, you don't have to freak out, okay? I'm getting a job just like you want. Really, this time. Look. She see? holds up her job application. Annette grabs it away. Fanny, no, you are not working here. What? Yes, I am. The rude teenagers approach. Seriously, lady, give me my burger! turns to the manager. She stole my burger! This? You want this burger? Okay. Annette takes the burger out of the bag and Mime's wiping her butt with it. Fanny's eyes go wide. Uh, I'm not paying for that. Sorry for calling you, bitch. <laughs> Annette, are you crazy? You can't wipe your butt with a customer's burger. 
I didn't. I pretended to wipe my butt with the customer's burger. Whoa, Mom. Annette, you leave me no choice. No, 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 no. You're not firing me. I'm done playing this game. I worked my ass off for 19 years and got zilch. I deserve better. I don't want this life for me, and I, more important, I do not want this for my daughter, so I guess it's time for me to get what I want. Annette looks at Fanny, then she walks to the middle of the floor, raising her arms. I quit! I quit! I quit! <laughs> Who's with me? Everyone just stares at her, no one moves. Annette grabs Fanny and drags her out the door. Mom? At the exterior of the burger shack, Annette is dragging Fanny across the parking lot. Wait, Mom, wait, hey, hey, are you having a stroke? Is this a stroke? Do you smell toast? Fanny pulls free and stops. Mom, stop. Are you nuts? What's happening? Fanny, I have never been less nuts. You, re you realize we both do not have jobs now, right? Yes, it's thrilling. And we're exterior nail salon. We're close on George and Annette. You sure you're ready to do this? It's time. And we pull back to reveal they're standing in front of a shitty, dilapidated, dilapidated nail salon. Smiling, George takes out a key. Let's go, boss. Inside the nail salon, it's even more rundown than the outside. It's a nail salon, but dusty and gross. Nail chairs sit under layers of dirt and dust. Annette takes it in. Oh, George. It's beautiful. I love you, Annette. I love you, too. They start kissing, hot and heavy. They fall kissing over the pedicure chair and out of frame. We're in Curtis's house. Fanny scrolls a Craigslist-type site while Curtis games in the background. We hear explosions from the screen. He talks into his headset. You get the flak jacket, pussy. I'm overing the alley. Uh, I'm sorry, I, d I didn't realize you were 10. Fanny clicks jobs and within five miles. The screen reads, no results found. She sighs. There's a knock at the door. Uh, uh, babe, can you grab that? I'm trying to pop a cap in this warlord's ass. Okay. Fanny goes to the door and opens it. It's Annette. Annette is seated in the kitchen with Fanny moments later. Curtis plays video games in the background with his headset on. I'm here because I got you a job. Oh my God, thank you. Look, Mom, I, I, I totally, totally get it now. I know why you took that, your crappy, crappy, crappy job. You know, it's because you were pregnant with me. And you really, you never mentioned how expensive I was. Well, you try to not make your kids feel guilty for existing. Right. Well, you were right. You know, I need a job. No, you were right. I need to follow my passion. Playing it safe only gets you so far. Right on. Sorry, what are we talking about? <laughs> I'm opening a nail salon. I'll be a small business owner, and you are my first employee. With your degree, you can do the books. We'll be our own bosses. Fanny's shocked and delighted. <gasps> she hugs Annette. You do that for me? I'm doing it for us. She points to Fanny's stomach. And for her. <laughs> Wait, what if it's not a girl? Well, then you're on your own. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I'm sorry. I'm, but I'm serious. Okay. Um. <laughs> Look, I, I'm sorry I messed up your life, you know, and I, I'm sorry I messed up your life and I kept you from living your dream. Fanny, I am living my dream starting today. And you're in it. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Fanny smiles and Annette and Fanny hug. I want you to come home and live with me and prepare for the baby. 
and Curtis too. I, Curtis might not want to come, which is fine with me. Curtis? I, I want to come. No need. No need. We've, I got it covered. I want you both to know I will always be a present father. Fine. On a trial basis. Yes! We're exterior Beth's house. Annette walks up to the door and knocks. John opens it. Oh, Annette, look, I just want to tell you how sorry I am. She literally beat it out of me. It's okay, John. Is she here? John leaves and Beth comes to the door, arms folded. Yes, I got fired. I'm here to let you know that I am opening up my own nail salon. Wow. That's crazy. Yes, maybe, maybe. But it's a longtime dream of mine, so... It's going to be a while before I turn a profit. I need an extension on next month's rent. Beth pauses, considering. John looks anxious. <laughs> All right. One condition. When my foot heals, I want a pedicure. A good one. With a callus removal. John smiles. Conflict avoided. Annette nods. Deal. We're in Annette's house in the bedroom. The Chiron reads one month later. Annette is asleep. This time the alarm goes off at 7 o'clock. It's a beautiful morning, plays. Annette sits up and flips the next day on the calendar, October 7th. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. She smiles. We're at the nail salon. Annette, Fanny, and Curtis are busy setting up a nail polish display. The salon has been repainted and remodeled, but tarps are still hanging. It's about 80% there. George enters. Stop! They stop and look at him. He pulls a hammer from behind his back and does a little dance. Hammer time. <laughs> I yeah. brought the hammer. Yep, yeah. we got it. We got that. Yeah. Loud and clear. Thanks for the dance. Okay, Thank once you. I put the laminate in and hang the sign, you'll be open for business. Annette gives him a kiss. Oh, gross. Sorry, I think, I think you need one more thing. Fanny hands Annette a package. Annette opens it. It's her cosmetology license, which Fanny has gotten framed. Annette hugs Fanny as George hangs the frame on the wall. I brought some things, too. He pulls a bottle of Goldschlager out of his backpack <laughs> and puts a paper bag on the counter. I have Goldschlager and hot dogs to celebrate my mom-in-law's new salon. Right, but no shots for Fanny because babies don't like gold. I read that. Or alcohol. Okay. Thank you. Thank George, you, Curtis. George hands a hot dog to Annette. Immediately, she flinches. Ugh, God, no thank you. What's wrong? You love hot dogs. Fanny and Curtis look at each other and their eyes widen. No way. We smash cut to Annette's house later. Annette, Fanny, George, and Curtis huddle around the kitchen table, staring at a pregnancy test. A timer pings. Annette grabs it and then bursts into tears. Oh, God. Fanny's jaw drops. Curtis grabs George and hugs him. Congratulations, Dad. And we end act three. We are in the tag in the salon. The salon is now fully remodeled and open for business. Fanny is behind the counter with Curtis. George watches proudly as Annette prepares to serve her first client, Beth. First customer. Big day. Oh, Annette, I want to thank you. You inspired me to follow my dream of writing erotic fiction. Been at it for a month. 
You know what? That is really not what I expected you to say. And, and that starts taking off Beth's foot brace. You know, I'm happy to hear that, Beth. You know, get ready to just relax and enjoy. All right, careful. This foot hasn't had a chance to breathe in months. Ooh-wee! Annette Ooh. takes off the brace to reveal Beth's disgusting, oh shriveled foot. <laughs> Fanny discreetly pukes into a plastic garbage bin. Oh, it's not that bad. Okay, great. Now, while you do that, I will read you an excerpt <clears throat> from my book. <clears throat> he had never licked her there, but soon she was wetter than Route 95 in a rainstorm. Wow. Curtis pulls up a chair. Go on. And that's end of show. Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. And so I have to write material that makes sense and makes people laugh. I also have to think about what I'm saying to people. If I kick your ass, I'll make you famous. The fight to get LGBTQ representation in the show. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. I really just became a political speechwriter by accident, realizing that I have accidentally uh, hold my pants down. <laughs> Listen and subscribe at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. It's like if the guinea pig was complicit in helping the scientist. Let me start off with telling you my favorite joke from the pilot. <laughs> uh, it's a real short one, so simple. But when Fanny says to George, I don't need a dad. <laughs> just, just a perfect, quick, great moment. We're like page 22, and that's a real character joke because we just enjoy, we know who George is already, and him just being immediately shot down in that way just plays so great. Uh, so yeah, that's Thank my you. favorite joke. Um, why don't you tell me, I don't, you know, I know you guys, but not, I don't think I have really heard how you started out and certainly the listeners here at home don't know your story so how did you guys get started doing this and how'd you team up we started off i came out right after college and started off in dramas i had worked um as an assistant to david mamet and was very lucky that around the time i moved out here he um he and sean ryan had uh, teamed up to create the hilarious comedy the unit it wasn't a comedy it was a military drama um no, I was incredibly lucky. I started off as an assistant on that show and was given a freelance script and then promoted to writer. And that okay, was... but how did you, hold on, so how do you get, you know, out here from there? You're just, you're, so you're coming from? From from Boston and okay. and you had always wanted to get into writing and comedy writing and I'd had some friends in college who I'd seen come out here and kind of have success in that and it, okay. it almost hadn't occurred to me this was a profession people could have <laughs> um, for me in my family it was like teacher or lawyer and um, but it was just exciting to me so I, I, I came out and uh, and I like was temping for a little while but it was this kind of timing serendipity just a coincidence and timing that that Mammoth had that show and I could get in as an assistant and only in retrospect did I appreciate how incredibly lucky I was that at the time I didn't know most shows don't get picked up most shows get canceled immediately like I I happened to wind up on a show that got more than one season so I could could there was job mobility like get that freelance get that staff writing position and um 
And so you were made a staff writer for the second yeah, in the season? second second season. And always wanted to to end up in comedy, but certainly it was like an amazing foot in the door and working for 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 David and for Sean Ryan. I mean, learned so much about it was just fantastic about story about everything. And then it was it was later when my agent who I got because of that job was was like oh, maybe like Jag is interested in you. I was like, oh, maybe I should get out of this space. Um, but that was how I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had met in college and were like friendly, but then I went home to Chicago because I wanted to do Second City because I wanted to be on SNL and was doing like writing and performing comedy there. And then it just sort of, I was touring with the Second City, but it didn't look like the main stage was sort of in my, was coming up anytime soon. So I had a job opportunity in LA at Current TV, which was Al Gore's station he had for right. a few years. Right. Um, yeah, it was sort of like going to be the YouTube, but on TV, like you would upload, but like <laughs> provocative think pieces. <laughs> it turns out that's not what we wanted to watch <laughs> and or upload. America didn't want to make short documentaries all day long. Um, <laughs> but I was working for them and called Emily and I was like, yeah, you're here and just called her as a friend. But our first like dinner hangout, we were talking about wanting to write like a teen girl movie, but like a teen, a classic teen type movie, but that reflected a female experience as opposed to the male experience, which was always like, let's get laid tonight. And we were like, well, what did we want when we were teenagers? Felt like we'd seen so many like that and it was never about like, well, girls don't want to get laid. They want like a boyfriend. And so we we wanted to approach it that way and decided to team up because Sarah was a current at the time I was on the show Private Practice. And I think we felt like, accountability would help us finish it like that just having someone else yeah. and so it was an experiment but it it, it worked out great that that movie and that was Booksmart yeah, yeah that was Booksmart okay so that was really the first thing you guys wrote together yeah and yeah, that first was like draft. 11 years Oh ago. my God, yeah. The first <laughs> draft was like 320 pages. Yeah. Like, we were like, no, this seems right. This yeah. seems good. Well, we were also, because we were brand new as writing partners, yeah. it just never said no to each other. And just like, I like that. I, we could, it was so, we each liked each other's ideas all the time. So everything made let's it in the script. Yeah. Sure. Let's have two stories. Right. Uh, it's like Genesis. It's like there's those two exactly. stories of the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. Let's leave them both in. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. So I didn't realize that that was the first thing. So this is this is yeah. eleven. Is that what, how many years ago? Well, that was two thousand nine, eight, two thousand eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that year, two thousand nine. Yeah. Okay. And so, and you, so you, you wrote, you finished that mm-hmm. script. Yes. Yeah, we sure did revise. It. There you, were yes. many, many drafts. Okay. Of so you cut yes. that down, and yeah. then did the agent that that Emily that you had become the agent for for you guys as a nope. team? No. We <laughs> did everything wrong. <laughs> um, Except that agent at the time was so insulting about Booksmart. Yes, that's true. <laughs> no, my agent at the time didn't love Booksmart um, the way that we did. And Sarah Sarah actually had gotten different agents from her performing and writing on current TV. Um, so we, we were in this situation of having two different agents, but being a writing team and that, I would not recommend that. No. Yeah. That's a rare yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was sort of, it all happened simultaneously yeah. and sort of coincidentally. Yeah. And then, um, but we did find agents on, on both sides who championed the project yes. and, and, and it was, um, after we had a draft that was a reasonable length of pages, um, <laughs> that script got a, it got some attention. I think like the the concept felt new and and um, it got on the blacklist and that kind of also branded us as as a comedy team and and uh, we started getting meetings and and that's when you started writing TV comedy or not yet not, not quite yet. We did features for a few years, but it was Emily was sort of had TV experience. I didn't. 
like have traditional TV experience, but it just started feeling so frustrating. Like to go, like to pitch a movie, you have to basically write the whole movie, right? You know, or have a very good idea mm-hmm. of what's happening in the film, and just a ton of work for either selling a project that will probably really never get made, but also not give you a firm yes or no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was really frustrating. It's like no, no, like just more notes. And it's like how can like what just decide? Yeah, right. And you're still not getting paid, yeah. and you're still just auditioning endlessly for months. Yes, right. and you're doing tons of free work. And we got, we just, we had a few things that were a lot of fun, like a project with Amy Poehler and got to write it for Universal. But again, like that hasn't been made, probably never going to get made. And and, um, and then there were just too many assignments where we would be, it would come down to us and one other person. And we'd done so much work at that point and it would go to the other person. And you just feel like it can't, we have to like eat at yeah. some point. <laughs> um, yeah. And like Sarah said, TVs, it's like, even if it's a no, it's an answer and you can, yes. you can move on. It's usually pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so none of those other feature projects ended up... No. I mean, who knows now? Yeah, seriously. There was a good long stretch where we thought Booksmart would never get made. Right, I mean, that's that's a long gestation period. um, So when did you start doing TV together? What was the first thing in TV that you did together? Uh, We developed a show for HBO. Yeah. Um, It was was around the year... Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, we write it under pseudonym. <laughs> yeah. um, it was around, it, no, I think it was the year that girls got picked up because they were, I think they were looking at a number of projects that were like ours was girls, girls their and their moms. moms. Yeah. Um, we've always kind of liked doing like female and yeah. um, female. Yeah. <laughs> mothers and daughters. You know, mothers female. And daughters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I remember that being like that year. I think they had a few projects like that. Mm-hmm. But then we had a meeting at ABC, and that became... Oh, we did one script about an old age home for them, a pilot. Yes. And then we did Trophy Wife. Okay. Yeah. And so Trophy Wife, did that come from personal experience from either of you? Uh, yes, yeah. I am a Trophy Wife. <laughs> um, I married, and my husband is older than I am. The title was intended to be ironic. It is both a great title and a huge burden, um, because... Without advertising, no one knew what it was about. And it doesn't sound like it's about like a relatable family. People it thought sounds it was like, like a yeah. like a reality show. Yeah. A right, trashy like a reality real show. Yes. Yeah. But we have this kind of kooky blended family where he has children from more than one marriage. So there's like a lot of moms in the picture and but the thesis of the show was like to do the best thing for the kids, you have to get along, even if people have very different personalities than you do. Yeah, it was an important part of it to us was always like we were talking about kind of the way we thought about Booksmart, but we hadn't seen a show that was sympathetic to the idea of the trophy wife. And, you know, Sarah and I would be talking and here she is, like she's married an older man, but like really committed to the kids and wanting to be a great mom and how sometimes even like some, some of the older soccer moms or something would kind of look at her funny. Like, how did this happen? Where it's like, no, but Sarah is the, is the most genuine, wonderful person, (laughs) but kind of wanting to tell that story. Yeah. Cause the young stepmom is always. Right. Yeah. No, I used to want to wear like t-shirts to soccer games. That was like, they were divorced before we met. I am not a home record. (laughs) Just like put it all on a t-shirt. And like, so I don't get the looks. But we were ultimately really proud of Trophy Wife. And a lot of it, I think was that like the tone felt it. We never, it, it, we never wanted to feel like here are some ex-wives snarky at each other, but like these are this is a group of different people coming together with a common goal of raising these children, and and I think we were you know only got one season, but we were proud of the, the season. Yeah, no, it was a great show, and I think you know one that is still thought of fondly. So mm-hmm. one season is you know yeah. it kind of doesn't matter. It's um, you know it lives on yeah. in yeah. people's yeah. memories in a positive way. Yeah, and were you did you guys run that show? Um, we sort of. 
co-ran it with Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stupnitsky, okay. and they were our producer, like writing producers, obviously, but, um, and they had a lot more experience than we did and were just hugely helpful in yeah. like directing some of the, the creative, but. But it was great because we had the idea, we had the characters, and we might have, have even sold it. I think we did. Yeah, and then we, um, but we paired with them really early in the process, so we got a chance to know each other and like have incorporate each other's, yeah. And they were fantastic. I mean, yeah. they were really fantastic and supportive of our vision for the show. Another thing, I'm sorry, we learned about their creatures. Oh, sorry, there's a the rattlesnake yeah. um, in the wall. Don't worry about <laughs> okay. it. We, um, yeah, another thing we learned about show running is like, have four people do that job instead <laughs> yeah. of one. It helps. Yeah, mm -hmm. it yeah. takes at least three. Four is, yeah. is ideal. Four yeah. was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at this point, you've been writing together for a while. Had you gotten beyond that initial phase of just like, uh, not wanting to say no to each other and had you figured yeah, out yeah I think by then we had um but yeah I mean a, we, a partnership is like a marriage we're, yeah. I feel like we're always going through like phases and but yeah. I mean we're we're in a very good marriage and partnership yeah. but and no what, it is. and what's what does conflict resolution look like with you guys when you're writing I wonder if it's because we're women, but it's usually, like, even our disagreements are like, I don't like that, and one of us gets passive-aggressive for three minutes, and then <laughs> the other one apologizes. Like, it's not real yeah. conflict. Yeah. yeah. It's also, I think, we're both people who don't, like, thrive on tension and yeah. conflict, so after, like, four minutes of being uncomfortable, it's like, let's just try it. Let's try it your way. Yeah. And, then, like, and I was like, no, no, your way. And it's like, no, no, they're, they're all fine ways. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And how does... What does idea generation look like? So when your you know trophy wife is over and you're looking to do the next thing, how what do you guys do to generate the next idea? A lot of it does come from our, if, not like we want to tell autobiographical stories, but just something in our lives is often like the germ or the genesis of, of mm -hmm. some idea. And, and I feel like because also I think the things we feel like we write the best are something where we have a real perspective on it or something that feels real to us. Um, but also we've gotten, we're open, like we've taken a lot of meeting where it's like if someone has an idea or I think we've, we've gotten open to that idea of like as long as we click with it on some level, um, we'll hear stuff, we'll just, but I do feel like a lot of it comes from we're just talking about our lives and what's interesting to us. Yeah. And does it, have you found that it, it's fairly easy to come to ideas that you both are like, yeah, we, you know, we both like that or is it one of you sort of talking the other one into things i feel like if it's not something we both click on we don't you do just, it yeah yeah i just, think that's one of the things on. we've learned which yeah. is like oh yeah. no like i like that but i'm not viscerally interested in yeah. it like in terms of a like yeah. this is a pilot we have to do yeah. right and i don't think either of us feels like our best work is going to come from one of us kind of pushing the other one into an yeah. idea yeah um and so what after trophy wife what was the next thing bounced around we were, we were under a deal at ABC then so we staffed on a few shows for them we did different we wrote a lot of pilots yeah we did um, small town love was one of them mm -hmm. um, we'll get to that <laughs> well yeah I'm trying to even think we did a we did a number we did I can't remember the name of it now but one about a women in a cul-de-sac Oh yeah, yeah. Nicole women in cul-de-sac. <laughs> like, obviously, that one that one really yeah. that really stood the test of time. I no, cannot remember the. I title. remember yeah, that one. We just kept like changing the comedy bits yeah. about like the trash cans, and it was like yeah. this is never going anywhere. <laughs> like if all the notes, yeah. all their notes are focused on like, well, in my neighborhood, I really don't put my trash cans out, and it's like all right, fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. Fine. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, I've um, got those pilots too. They're like, I wrote that. I yeah, can't yeah. I can't remember. We those did one shows. about you know sisters, different sisters, right. like the 
the fancy sister moves yeah. home with the regular sister. Yeah. Kind of, you know, we've all dabbled in that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And then in the end, they were on a train, and that was a change we made at the last second to accommodate someone. And oh, I... no, there was a crazy note. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. Could this whole thing be told if they're in prison? It's like, oh, well, <laughs> that, um, that requires, we did not thought yeah. about them in that <laughs> yeah. way, but sure. We don't know what will happen in episode two, but yeah, we can make that change. Yeah. Um, and the, so Small Town Love. Yeah. The studio brings you the format. It's a Swedish, Swedish format. Yes. Swedish yes. format. Yes. Akvarmland. Akvarmland. I think Aaron brought us the yeah, format. Yeah, I think so. Aaron Kaplan. Okay. Yeah, and um, we brought it to the studio, but we'd watched a lot of different formats, and I think just hadn't. We didn't want a format that had to be like so completely reinvented that we had to basically. It was just like our idea with like a title of a foreign show that no one in America has ever heard of. Right. Like there are plenty of those. Yeah. But this one, it was like, oh, the, the premise was solid, the relationships were solid, yeah. the themes we enjoyed, it was a mother-daughter. So it seemed like, oh, this is something we could actually have the experience of adapting, as opposed to sort of just tearing down completely. Right. And how much of, is the setup um, with the pregnancy and the, the nail salon, and how, mm-hmm. you know, tell me what changed from the format? That all was the, like it, it. I think the the premise of that show is like to a mother daughter find out they're pregnant at the same time, and a run a run the nail salon. I think that was all the same. Um, theirs is I I think a lot of theirs was that it took place in this rural community, and we we moved ours to more of a city. And um, why Michigan? I had yeah I um I grew up in Chicago right. and my grandparents lived in northern rural Michigan, and so that's where I would spend my summers. Okay. And so it was sort of like that is a, you know, a place I knew for its socioeconomic diversity. One of the things that appealed to us was like that small town love was about a working class family in Sweden. And then we could like transpose that to America and tell the story of a working class family that was outside of like the way a lot of those stories get told. Right. In terms of like that sort of, it's like, oh, they must love auto racing and NASCAR. And it's like, right. well, no, there's lots of people <laughs> <laughs> who are not rich, who love lots of different things. Yeah. Um, so Michigan, just because it connected with an experience. And how much it was at ABC at that point on their kind of drive to tell, to have more working class shows, mm-hmm. did that factor in? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that year I remember that's one thing they were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you are taking something that already exists and you're, because um, I've, I've had trouble doing that. Like there's something, yeah. you know, for me that, that my brain kind of shuts down because it's just like well it's already done um right. but so so where was the point where you could like okay i see where we can make this our own i mean the setting i assume you know is one thing where you're connecting yeah. to this mm-hmm. thing but were there other things where you're just like okay now this is starting to feel like we're not just tracing like this is our this is yeah our... i i do think that it was just the the idea of mother daughter Pregnancy and nail salon. We were like, we can work with that, and mm-hmm. almost like that was what we kept, and everything else was like a blank slate. And let and I think if I don't remember the pilot itself that well now, but like the tone, you know, everything. Yeah, and I think this the tempo of storytelling is also so different yeah. between like their show would, like five of the story points we hit in the pilot were spread out right over okay. like six episodes, and but American TV just especially with like a three act structure. Yeah. Demands so much story that... So these pregnancy reveals 
the two pregnancy reveals don't happen in the pilot of the Swedish show. They, they're I think spread. those, I think those, might those do, do, but like the nail salon is maybe next. Maybe the daughter never works at the nail salon. Right. Like there's or some introducing key the differences. Yeah. yeah, that all kind of was teased like, out. Yes, because they the can. pregnancies felt like tailor made to the way you know American TV yeah. development yes. is always yeah. like, we need big you know act yeah. breaks and yes. So that must have been okay. Well, we've got those. We've right. got two big right. events. Yeah, but we you know we can we push. We added a lot of story because yeah. you know you need in a European format. I feel like they trust the viewer to see a character in one scene, in one episode, and then like later see him in the next episode. But if right. he's not functional in both, it's okay that he's not there. But it's like no, no, he has to be in like a whole B story. Like mm-hmm. everyone's everyone's there. Right, but it does have what what I like about it is it is so much about these characters. It's not it's not a jokey script. It's not you know it's really people who feel real behaving in real ways mm-hmm. and you know it sort of is small in yeah. in a good way um you know Thank you obviously you. you have the pregnancies as these these big moments mm-hmm. and you have the confrontation at the burger place you know yeah. that are big but for the most part you really are kind of just kitchen sink mm-hmm. drama you know with, you. with you know with jokes i mean that's something <laughs> we talk about all the time and it really is the type of script we like to write or comedy we like to 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 write is just from character like organic to what's happening and and we'd much rather you know that some of the shows we talk about they're always that like our favorite movie we reference all the time terms of endearment it's like you get really sad and <laughs> right. then you can have a, like a, a, a funny joke but just having it come from character come from real situations as opposed to just like you know 10 jokes a page is is a lot more yeah what we like to do the, that james brooks style is just yeah. i think as writers we all just love it so much and yeah. it's so hard to get yeah. onto television mm-hmm. now that kind of thing mm-hmm. where I mean I think it's getting easier on on cable and streaming mm-hmm. that you can have this mix of tones but for the network shows it's just tough to sit in moments of drama for any length of yeah. time um, yeah. they get nervous yeah. like that there yeah. aren't laughs coming well honestly we I mean not to, to change topics but we do feel lucky at at CBS that it's like we have a multicam comedy set in a hospital and just the, the hospital is really letting us go to like in the pilot like you inevitably like this spoiler alert not everyone is healthy like there are some <laughs> you know but it, it really very naturally lets us have play some dramatic more emotional moments and then get back to the comedy so we'll see you know we'll see how it works out but we're happy to be able to do that so right that's now. now that's Carol's second act that yeah. you're talking about so that's your show that you have coming in September is it a fall show or is it fall a show. Fall it's show. a fall show yeah Trisha Heaton. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's talk about that for a minute. So that came about how? We, it, this development season, this was our first, we were out of our deal at ABC, so we were we were kind of open and, oh, initially actually we had a pitch that we were going to take out, that that, um, that we did take out and nobody wanted. <laughs> so that was the, that was the beginning. it was the pitch that everyone liked the most. Yeah, it was funny. Performance-wise, they're like, oh, we they love this. They were like, this, this like, is a slam dunk. Conceptually, slam dunk, yeah. you're going to kill it. Go kill like, it. Nothing. Didn't really? sell. Yeah. And we were, I was pregnant, we were in a little bit of like a, just can we have a paycheck like, <laughs> kind of headspace so then we were at a little bit of a scramble but it um no it, we actually we met with Aaron Kaplan we were just taking meetings seeing what was around like it open to someone bringing an idea to us thinking of other ideas and in this meeting with Aaron he told us that Patricia Heaton was looking to do something with CBS and they were of course excited to work with her and just Sarah and I like we'd we'd had an idea, similar ideas in the past, but it just of wanting to like tell a story with an older woman at the at the fore and a, and show her as intelligent and competent and and we'd also at different times 
we've joked about like you know when development's going less well like what things might we be doing and just kind of talking about that road less traveled I google a lot of grad schools yeah. yeah but it kind of seemed like the perfect marriage and and honestly the the timing hasn't always felt right for this type of show like featuring an older woman and it felt like i, I do think it it just it's like it's kind of just lined up in a really nice way like and premise just so people know i'm sorry is, yes uh patricia heaton uh plays a woman who uh upon you know reaching retirement age after a divorce decides to go to medical school and so the show picks up at her first year as an intern with a group of other interns who are in their 20s um yeah, but it, it, it just, I think for this idea, too, it just took, like, sometimes that's a hard idea to sell without the actress. Right. And Patricia Heaton is truly the actress. <laughs> yes, like, yeah. if we could yeah. we could not pick someone better. For, and so it, it really kind of lined up in a very nice way. Is medical school on the one of the things that you would Google? I mean, if I had done moments? any pre-med requirements, <laughs> sure. So then I'd have to start Googling, like, post-bac pre-med requirement programs. Like, yeah. I'd really have to dig, like, six programs deep yeah. to get myself to med school. I actually started <laughs> as pre-med in college. It didn't last very long. I, I'd, I'd have to do a lot more classes. And then more recently, I've been like, I think I could go to veterinary school. Mm-hmm. Maybe mistakenly thinking that was easier, but when I have Googled it, I'm like, this also seems very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> that would take a long that, time. Was that ever a step on the on, on the way to this show? Was that she was going to be a vet? No, 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 no. Okay. no. It was always yeah. <laughs> but, but in our conversation where the idea came up, like Emily had, was talking, we were having coffee like before our meeting with Patty, and she was like talking about the idea of like someone taking a risk, like going out, having an adventure, changing careers. Like I've thought about being a vet and it was like, hold yeah. the phone. <laughs> yeah. That, but for people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we were. Yeah. People better than yeah. animals. We, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think all of us as writers have those. Like, what? All right. What else? I've been yeah. doing this yeah. for so long. What else could I possibly do when the jobs yeah. totally dry up. But I think we want to feel like everyone has that. Like yeah. whether you pursue it or not or whether you're in the job that fulfills your passion or not, it's just invariably. Yeah. You're like, I mean, no what one, else no could I be doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No one has job security right. anymore. Yeah. Right. So everyone's thinking of those right. backup plans. Yeah. So it felt like one. it really could have like an aspirational, like positive feel to it. And, yeah. yeah. And you're right, Patty Heaton, you know, if you were just, it's probably a tricky show to go in cold and pitch yeah. a show mm-hmm. about a woman at that age doing these things. It's like, eh, right. but... Um, <laughs> You know, she's a master of this yeah. Yeah. form. Yeah, yeah, she and, really is. And that transition. So you've done so multi-camera. You you did one. You've done a pilot mm-hmm. at, at one point that didn't end up going. Right. Um, but everything else has been film and single camera. Yeah. And, and have, what are you finding now that you're into writing this multi-camera show? Are you finding real differences or challenges with the change? There in are format? differences. I mean, so far we're really enjoying it. I think mm-hmm. as you know, we both at least kind of in college were involved in theater you know that it in some ways like having the limitations of multicam so-called limitations are are freeing you know because it's like you just you can tell a story within these spaces and so it frees you up to think about character what's the best story I can tell here as opposed to like what's the coolest location I can go to or something and I mean we're hoping we'll see if this proves true but that it plays to our strength of that character conversational comedy which is like that's what a good multicam is is a bunch of characters you love having very funny conversations and we think we've set up enough conflict internally in the premise of the series like she's older they're younger she has life experience also the drama of the hospital setting like there'll be enough stuff to talk about yeah it's what i love about it is it is really all about the dialogue i mean it's it's 
close to playwriting and it's, you know, you're not having to think of like, what's the cool montage we can do and what, you know, all these other things we have to think of in single camera. It really is just like characters saying, you know, in funny situations with strong attitudes saying funny things. And it's, it's all yeah. about that, which is yeah. nice, especially, you know, if you have an improv and, you know, theater background, it, yeah, it plays to that. Yeah. Tape night is, it's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you guys are writing, so when you're writing a script, what's, what's that look like? Do you guys sit in a room together? Is some one person at the keyboard? Do you split things up? We like to split things up. We, we do a lot, like all of the story breaking and outlining together. Um, but then once we're into the writing, we like to split things up. And I think at this point, we've just been writing together a long time. Like we know each other's, we, the tone's pretty similar. Like in the beginning with Booksmart, it was almost like to the page, you could tell who had written what. And <laughs> right. now I think it's a lot, a lot smoother. But, uh, and then, you know, we'll switch scenes and we'll each do a pass and do a pass together. Like it's, uh, the nice thing is over time, it's both working in TV, but also as partners like you just you're not precious about anything it's like we'll just keep taking passes and smoothing yeah the step over and in terms of pilots like are there things you've learned about how to recognize when an idea has what it takes to be a pilot is there wisdom that you feel like you've gotten over the years of writing these things yeah I think there is wisdom and experience yeah not like and yeah. I would probably not have said that you know five years ago mm-hmm. um, because we got so lucky with Trophy Wife yeah. in a way like where we didn't recognize the internal strengths it had structure-wise yeah. to generate a lot of story. This one, we feel it. Yeah. We've like, t- it, it's just story, idea, you know, I'm obviously like time will tell and, uh, you know, the but the story, I, stories come easily, you know, and that's a really good sign. It's yes. like, can you come up with a hundred ideas for for episodes? But it's, there is something about it. It's multicam, it's a hospital, there are going to be patient stories, there are going to be character stories, but... Um, you feel like you planted enough engines yes. that yeah. are generating when you get in the room. Yeah, and stories I, are coming. I remember when we were on Trophy Wife, Lee Eisenberg used to say, "Like, where does the show live?" And that that's something that occurs to us sometimes. But it's just like making sure you you yourself are very clear on what's the premise, what it's about, and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. And that also comes up because it. I know Gene generate like fifty ideas. Like yeah. If they have an idea, like what are like fifty episodes of this, or yeah. what like just to kind of test it. Yeah. And I do think we've found on our own pilots, but also different staffs we've been on where where things haven't worked out. It's it's funny, but those negative experiences wind up being more helpful than the positive ones. But where it's clear, like either the showrunner or the network or both, when they aren't clear on what the show is, that's right. where you really Oof. run into yeah. problems. Yeah. Or well, they, they disagree. Network. They both mm-hmm. they yes. have different yes. ideas about what it is. Yeah. And, that is that is rough and that experience helps you experience has helped me at least vocalize like no no this is this is what we like about this premise this is what this premise is this is what this premise isn't mm-hmm. and to hopefully avoid the problem of when you get picked up and the network's like it's a family show and you're like oh no yeah. it's yeah. not a family show right <laughs> and we've also kind of learned like you that you really don't get rewarded for good behavior you know that it's like if your show fails and they're not going to be like well but they took our notes so well you know it is it's 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 just good to... You don't get also rewarded for bad behavior. So really no, having no behavior yeah. is the <laughs> ideal strategy. It's not a lot of rewards yeah. in this business. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, and it's hard to feel like giving advice about anything because so much of it is, I feel like, circumstantial, yeah. accidental. But I do feel like with this experience, the, the strongest thing you can do is have an idea where you can really articulate it. Yeah. Right. Is there a theme or so, is there something is there, where you... What is this show about? Yeah. yeah. And when... when you know, if someone was to ask you that in this case for this show, your answer would be 
it is about a woman pursuing her dreams in the second stage of her life. And then, like, everything added on to that is extra. Yeah. You know, the medical is extra. Everything is extra. The conflict. But, like, that's... Whereas we were, we were talking... We did a panel last night with Larry yes. Wilmore about <laughs> WGA comedy pilots. And he was talking about really boiling everything down. And his maxim was on the Bernie Mac show. He would say that show was about... I don't negotiate with terrorists and kids are terrorists. <laughs> and I feel like our show in the most reductive way is like old lady doctor. Yeah. No, it really is. <laughs> but, but like that will generate, that's it. And right. it's like her age is her superpower. Yeah. And that's every, every her, so that, that's you her know, drive. there, that's yeah. that. Because yes. old lady doctor is right. just yeah. old lady doctor. Right. right. But her age is her superpower. Yeah. That's, right. you know. That's driving a lot, a lot, a lot of the stories. Right. It's just every, scene to scene is, yeah. Is her age her superpower? Yes, it is. Okay, move on. <laughs> right. Then, then we know, yeah. okay, right. we're telling a, a story for this right. show that's unique to this show. Right. Yeah. That it's like Walter White was a genius chemist, and and that was, you know, for a while, you know, that's his super. You know, I know that's not the theme of that show, but those are stories right. that are specific to Breaking Bad, and, mm-hmm. and if that's what this show right. is. Because what, you know, once you have a staff of writers who only have one example to go on yeah. and are expected to write the show, but all they've seen is this one yeah. episode, what they need from you guys, I'm sure, is just like, tell us, you know, where, what arena should we be yeah. Yeah. pitching stories in? Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And I think that's a lot of what we, we talk about in the room, but it's like, no matter what, when you're in a scene is, is protecting Carol is what we'd say a lot of the time, but it is just like ensuring that, the, that, that, premise is, is there all the time and it did help us that and helps us you know at the end of the pilot stage when you're like totally exhausted then they turn around they're like can we have a list of 10 episode ideas <laughs> and, yeah. it's, and it's the thing you want to do least in your life but we managed to take it kind of seriously and those have been a great and asset been u- so far and you've been yeah. using them yeah yeah because uh, normally it's like it's hard to take it seriously because you're exhausted yeah, yeah. like you don't want to do anything else. Yeah. and also if you've been doing this for a while there's part of you that's just like this is just an exercise. Right. This yeah. thing isn't going to go. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's also, the point of doing this? None of these will ever actually be being made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I've found, a, a, a story for an episode, if it's good, has a lot of twists and turns and is complicated and things dovetail. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're asking you, just give me some paragraph synopses. And so those end up often just being a funny kind of one line. Right idea that's not really a story it's just it's a scene or it's a premise and often you're kind of thinking of it as a sales document so you're less even thinking about what's a good story and more about like what's a good thing to put in this document um no we were we were lucky but also i think part of it for the pilot even had just done a lot of research and looked into kind of tried to educate ourselves about the world of the hospital and that in and of itself had just get, yeah, sort of given us a lot of ideas. Yeah, it's not luck. You actually had a yeah. solid idea yeah. that you knew something about. Yeah. You were like the dog that was prepared to drive the car when, he, when <laughs> right. he caught it. And you're yeah. often, I mean, I felt like yeah. I've had a lot where it's just like, shit, I better not catch this car. Yeah. I really am a dog and I don't yeah. know how to drive. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's yeah. true. We talked about that last <laughs> night too, where there's how many like, it's like in theory, the goal is always get your pilot on the air but it's like sometimes it you see that worst, coming yeah it could be the worst possible yeah. thing to happen sometimes it, that not happening is like you're like oh thank goodness we dodged a bullet yeah. yeah um and being not being in a deal and you know doing this did it feel different you know pitching this or i mean this was so new to us it felt i will say like we pitched the idea to patty first and she okay. responded so 
with that att- it felt different that, and that it was like right. they were very excited for Much Patty to be in the- yeah, yeah yeah and when you guys pitch how are you off book are you yeah and yeah. you're pretty well rehearsed yes yeah um, and you bounce back and forth and you're you know you both have performing experience and Sarah that, ha- I, I have more now but Sarah Sarah, <laughs> Sarah definitely a- helped elevate my pitching which I think was more stereotype piece of paper for a while and was that at the beginning was it more you know sarah you were much more comfortable in that pitching environment than emily i I think i was a little more comfortable i don't think i was better at it i think i was more comfortable sitting down and talking but it feels like a performance you know yeah um and we have we write everything we have our pages in our lap just in case like you have a total like space cadet moment Mm -hmm. totally forget where you are but we have planned who says what when we sometimes have like who will have this little joke in this paragraph and yeah. we'll improvise within the pitch, but then like if anything really worked, we're like, oh yeah, we're gonna put that funny thing in. Yeah. Right. Um, and back to Small Town Love for a second. How yeah. much, in the case of Small Town Love, did you feel similarly like we have a bunch of stories that we know, we, we know where we're going with this? I think we love the central four, yeah. which is, you know, Annette, the mom, her daughter, Franny, and then the two boyfriends. Curtis and, like, and Curtis George. and George finding their way in this new world. So, like, the Swedish show did not have a lot of seasons or episodes at the time when we did it. Maybe it's, like, huge now. It's, like, <laughs> the 14th season. Um, you haven't but, kept up yeah. with the alcohol, Mom? <laughs> you know You're not on the message board? Yeah. <laughs> they haven't too written hard. Um, <laughs> but, uh... I think we were excited about those dynamics going forward and the fact that, like, there would be babies and there was this new business and the tension between the mother and daughter, how they were going to figure it out. Yeah. But you didn't have to write one of those documents because you didn't shoot it. So right. You yeah. you have to actually yeah. come up with those I think stories. we would but, have had to give it some thought and made some decisions. Yeah. But, yeah. But the format wasn't providing you beyond the pilot right. with, like, oh, this is easy because we've right. got all these right. episodes of the Swedish show that we can just, no. you know, you were going to be... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like we knew eventually they'd all move in together. Like there were things that would happen. But yes, in terms of week to week. Yeah. Like, is it would it be workplace comedy in the nail salon, or would it be like characters in the home? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think we probably would have had to have had it gotten shot to figure that out in advance. Right. And so, what was it? And so, hearing it out loud, were there? Did you have reactions? Were there things that you? Yeah. I mean. It was fun. It's funny because it really was so long ago. I feel like I I both enjoyed hearing it and liked a lot of the jokes, and then also was like, oh, how where would we have gone with this? Yeah. Like I had both of those <laughs> responses. Oh, yeah, I thought the uh, actors did such a phenomenal yeah. job, which means like proof of concept for the characters that they could get up there and basically cold read something. Um, and I think that every writer like wants to punch it while it's being read. Yeah, right. Like okay, oh, could have used right, something yeah. here, and right. but just really thought the actors did a fantastic job do you guys read your stuff when you finish a draft do you read it out loud to each other is that part of your process only at bedtime no <laughs> no we don't like, oh that sounds horrible yeah. <laughs> yeah. finish it get it away yeah <laughs> put um, it on the internet no we don't i yeah it'd probably be nice to hear them read out loud sometimes but yeah, yeah we we don't unless we're at that stage of like table reads yeah in, in, the, in a room we'll read out in the room you do yeah 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 it feels like less insular yes. in a weird way. Like if we were reading it, it yeah. just sort of, yeah, we'd be listening differently. Right. Whereas like if you're working in a yeah. room. Yeah, I just asked because like, it, yeah. it is when you hear stuff just said out loud, you know, by it, it just, yeah. it changes things Completely. no matter what. I mean, yeah. the computer, the final draft computer voice doesn't quite do it, but <laughs> no. you know, just, just hearing it. And it's funny how many times in a writer's room I'll forget to just like at the end of, you know, if you're rewriting a scene, you forget 
to just let's read this out loud yeah, yeah. but you always should yes. because just suddenly you know it looked all fine when we proofed it and but then when you hear it out loud it's just like oh wait that's clunky yeah. or that i didn't hear that we're repeating this word too many yeah. times or whatever yeah. it is it's just you know it's it's what's interesting always to me about doing dead pilot societies here you know i read all these things and then you hear them and you always discover a character that you didn't think on the page was going to be yeah. that funny and it's just like oh wait that's you know, so you never know, like George and this, it's just like, okay, George doesn't have a lot, but this yeah. is just like a great character that you're going to want it, you know, this is so yeah. sweet and, you know, just trying so hard, but um, a little bit of a punching bag. And, yeah. you know, you don't know, you hear that out loud and it's just like, yeah. oh, there's all sorts of new information that comes just from hearing it. Yeah. Um, oh, you're, you're right. And I do, I feel like, at least I personally, like I, it, I can only hear it if I'm not reading it, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's also like table yeah. reads and stuff. I just never want to have a, even a line I don't want it because that's what my mind is yeah. on and it's, it's it is helpful to just be able to sit there and listen yeah if I have like one line in a table read I spend the whole time being so on. nervous yeah. Yes. yeah like oh I don't want to mess up this line yeah this is my break yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's not Sarah <laughs> hey it's your show yeah you yep. can uh, well I'm excited to see the new show thank you thank so you happy for you guys so happy that book smart after yeah. 11 years oh my gosh no we were so yeah we're thrilled really we're cool really, yeah and thanks it. for letting us you know read this great pilot thanks for doing thank it. You. it was so fun yeah to it see. was great it was great yeah. really fun very grateful to everyone who participated yeah yeah it's a great cast so all right well thanks you guys thank, thank you. you okay that's it for our show this month this show is produced by myself and ben blacker and our associate producer noah findling thanks to everybody over at the hollywood improv uh like I said at the top, leave us a, uh, a review there over at uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe while you're at it. Um, and follow us on the evil social media outlets. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. Follow us so you'll find out when the ticket link goes live for what's going to be a fantastic show uh, in September at the WGA Theater. Until next time. I am your host, Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening.